0: A very blessed morning to each and every one of you and also to those who are tuning in online. You know, I begin with a disclaimer. I just returned with some pastors from the Alpha Leadership Conference in London last Friday. So if I happen to just doze off during this sermon, Pastor Clement is supposed to continue. (laughs) But (laughs) that's what brothers are for, isn't it? But on a more serious note, you know on the flight there just over a week back to to london the plane hit turbulence along the way and you know the the plane was shaking the cabin was shaking and and and, and the the pilot made an announcement that there's turbulence and uh, please remain seated and and like like uh, any good methodist i just slept through it <laughs> okay but essentially the plane pressed on and we reached our destination albeit with some delay. But that's what Christian discipleship often is, isn't it? It's not a straight line, right? There will be turbulence in our journey. There will be ups and downs. We will falter. We will experience victory in the Lord. But there is turbulence along the way. As Eugene Peterson put it, discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction Discipleship is for the long haul. But how do we persevere and stay the course amidst the many demands, disturbances, and distractions of life and of ministry? You know, Jesus has given us many blessings from the cross. But one of the most precious and vital for our discipleship is full access. Full access to our Abba Father in Heaven. You know, some of you may be familiar with this scene. It's not a new way of planking, right? It's a scene from the first installment of Mission Impossible. Ethan Hunt and his IMF team has embarked on a mission to break into the CIA headquarters to obtain top secret information, Now, the CIA headquarters is heavily guarded from the outside, and even more so in the inside. The security vault has sensors to detect unauthorized intruders. And to succeed, super spy Ethan Hunt and his team had to pull off the impossible. And like in Hollywood, they always succeed, isn't it? In contrast... The nerdy CIA programmer, by virtue of his position as a CIA programmer, simply could access the security vault at any time, freely, fully, just with that card, just with the code. No fuss, no need to jump through hoops. What a difference IMF team had to do the impossible, but the CIA programmer could have full and free access anytime he wanted. In the same way, my friends, as the people of God, by virtue of our identity in Christ, we have full access to God the Father. Today's scripture text is from Hebrews 10 verses 19 to 23, and would you read along with me? Reading from verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for He who promised is faithful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. My message this morning will be structured around the three A's, access, approach, and abide. Let's begin with access. In verse 19, the words translated in the English as confidence to enter doesn't convey the full meaning of the underlying Greek. The idea of the Greek is that of full access, full Authorization. We have the freedom by the blood of the lamb to enter into the most holy place to encounter the presence of God. Now my friends, this is, you must be aware, a radical and unthinkable idea for a Old Testament Israelite. You know, in Exodus before God revealed himself to Moses in the mountain, the people were instructed to stay away, to not even touch the mountain because it would lead to death. That was how awesome the presence of God was. Later on, God's presence would be found in the tabernacle or the temple, in that place that was called the most holy place or the holy places. But in the most holy of holy, the most holy place, it was separated by a curtain in the temple. It was the most sacred room within the tabernacle or the temple. What you see are increasing levels of holiness from the courtyard. And I demonstrate this through this diagram of the tabernacle. The increasing levels of holiness from the courtyard to the holy place to the most holy place. And this highlights the dangerous, awesome presence of God. And the final barrier in the temple are the curtains, right? And these were massive curtains, 60 feet long and 30 feet wide of the thickness of the palm of your hand. And even though the temple, the tabernacle, helped people to understand that God was with them, it also reminded them of God's holiness. Because it kept them at a distance. No one could enter into the most holy place except the high priest, who could go inside it once a year under the most strict of requirements and supervision. According to some Jewish traditions, the high priest had bells on his garment and a rope around his waist or ankle. Why? Why were they useful? The bells were there to let people know that he was still alive, right? Because as he was walking, you could hear the bell, right, ringing. But once the bell stopped, you know, oh dear, something has happened to the priest. And what was the rope there for? Well, if the priest was struck dead, then the rope would enable them to pull his body out of the most holy place. Imagine if this applied today. You might be missing a pastor every now and then. Okay? (laughs) Right? it was mission impossible for the ordinary Jew to enter the most holy of holies, right? Now, however, we are told in Hebrews, on account of Christ's work on the cross, we, the people of God, can enter the most holy place with confidence, with full access, freely by the blood of the Lamb. In verse 20, instead of the thick curtains of the temple, the curtain we enter now is his body, the body of Christ that was broken and bloodied for us on the cross. When his flesh, the flesh of Christ was torn on the cross, God also tore the temple, or rather the curtain in the temple by God's grace. What was once mission impossible is now possible with Christ. You know, when my my son was still a toddler, there were times in the middle of the night he would just wake up and he would just enter into my room in the middle of the night. And somehow my wife and I would somehow sense that he had entered the room and we would wake up and comfort him, assure him uh, before taking him back into his own room to sleep. That's the kind of access, my friends, that we've been given to God. Full access. In our times of worry, anxiety, disappointments, failings, we can go to Him. Full access at any time of the day. You know, verse 20 goes on to say um, that this access is a new access. It's a new and living way. The underlying Greek for new alludes to being freshly slaughtered. That's why it's new, it's fresh. You know the Levitical priests had to slaughter the same sacrifices year after year, year after year. But Christ's sacrifice is once and for all. And it is always new. It is always fresh. It is once and for all. It is always a freshly Slaughtered sacrifice. It's been at least 2,000 years since Jesus died. But what He has done on the cross for us, my friends, is as new and fresh today as the day it happened. He is the living and risen Christ. And because of the cross, we have full access. And this access is available To all of us, not because of how good we are, how much we have done, but by faith, right? By faith. By grace. Not by merit, but not by your station in life, not by your title, your accomplishments, not by your facade of religiosity, but simply by grace. Through Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and life. You know, when I was in India a few years ago on a mission trip, with Wesley, I had the privilege to dedicate a new church building there. The church building looked incomplete. It had a tin roof, unfinished walls. But for these Indian Christians, it was a significant thanksgiving because they had a place together to worship. Now, as you would know, many if not all of the Christians in India, come from the lowest caste or outside the caste system. Meaning that they were the last and the least in Hindu society. Impoverished, marginalized, persecuted. They would not have access to many of the good things we have in life. Let alone access to important persons. For that matter, they couldn't even access other castes above them or people in the caste system. You know, when I went there, I was praying what to say to these Indian believers. We have so much. What can I say to them? And I felt the Lord leading me to tell them, God loves you as you are. God loves you as you are despite your circumstances. You have full access full access to him. These Indian Christians, the least in the eyes of society, outcasts, would would have full access to the king of kings. Church, if you feel rejected, abandoned, defeated by life, by people, with no one to turn to, today, would you know that you have full access to the most important person that you could ever have. More important than any king, any president, any prime minister. You have access to the king of kings, the lords of lords, the creator of the heavens and the earth by the blood of the Lamb. And you can turn to him at any time. Moving from access to approach Verse twenty-two tells us to let us draw near to God because we have access. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Now, let us draw near to God is in the Greek in the in the present tense, meaning the the exhortation is to continually draw near to God. It's not just once in a while. It's not just 20 years ago when you received Christ, but to continually draw near to God. And that's the posture of our hearts. To, to, to walk with God, to be with God each moment of the day with the assurance of faith and with a sincere heart. You know, I'm sure some of you have bought gym memberships and maybe you started strong a few, a few sessions here and there, but after that, you know, uh, the, the passion grows cold and you're not able to wake up early to, to go to the gym anymore. So having access to the gym doesn't mean you're at the gym, isn't it? In the same way, my friends, we may have access, we have access to the King of Kings. But it doesn't mean that all of us here are drawing close to God because we are so busy, we are so distracted, we have so many other things to attend to. But verse 22 reminds us that we are to continually approach God, draw near to Him with the right posture of sincerity and of faith. It's so easy, isn't it, to come to a setting like this to attend a Bible study. But if we're not intentional, it can simply be like going to a concert, a lecture. We passively... Sit, wait for the worship leader, the preacher, the teacher to do something for us, to us, perhaps to entertain us, to impress us. But verse 22 reminds us that our posture as disciples is not just to observe, to evaluate a program. Or when we come, gather for worship, our posture is to draw near to God, to approach God with sincere hearts, with an expectancy that we come before Him. Things can change. We can be transformed. Our lives can be transformed because we have full access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's the posture that we're called to come before God. You know the terms hearts sprinkled, bodies washed, in verse 22, must be understood against the backdrop of the Old Testament purification rituals. You know, in the tabernacle or in the temple, every time the priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the altar, and then they're required to wash their hands and feet at the bronze lava. This was all ritualistic, But it symbolized the cleansing that was required, that was needed before they could enter the most holy place. But today, we are told in Scripture, in the New Testament, that the blood of Jesus cleanses us with superior power and efficacy than any water, than the blood of any animal. It cleanses us from deep within. It cleanses not just the external, but it cleanses us from our guilty conscience, from our sinful nature. It purifies our heart so that when we come before God, the most holy of holies, we can be certain that we will not be struck dead, but we can come before Him as a child. At any time of the day, knowing that our sins have been forgiven by virtue of the blood of the Lamb, my friends, we can draw near to God as we are. We don't have to put on a mask. Karl Strobel describes the essence of prayer this way: He says, "Prayer is not a place." to be good, to look good, to try to impress God or anyone else. It is a place to be honest. Prayer is not a place to perform. It is a place to be present. Prayer is not a place to be right. Or rather, it is a place to be known by God, to be vulnerable, to be transparent before God. Prayer is not a place to prove your worth, that you're worthy of salvation, but rather it is a place to receive worth and offer yourselves in truth before God. Friends, we come to God as we are. We don't have to prove anything to Him, but we come to Him as we are. Ah, and allow His love and His grace to do that work of transformation in our hearts. That we don't come and, and with all our guilt thinking that we need to prove something to Him. But we come as we are and be cleansed by Him and be loved by Him. You know, I knew Madam Sim from my ministry in the HDB Heartlands. And Madam Sim was an active person until she was hit tragically by a car. And she had to use a wheelchair after that. You know, she was often hospitalized due to her poor health. And she would tell me that she really looked forward whenever she could to to come to Sunday worship service. And she shared that she had many burdens in life financially, Family relationships. And that she was just so thankful and eager to come on Sunday to worship the Lord. To pour out her heart to Him. Which gave her a sense of shalom and strength. I later found out from her daughter that Madam Sim would prepare her clothes, what she was going to wear on Sunday, on Saturday afternoon, the day before. She was so eager, expectant of what the Lord was going to do to her and for her. And she would wake up early on Sunday, waiting for a church member to pick her up. And that reminded me of the posture my heart is to take. It caused, challenged me on my posture, on my yearning for the Lord. How about us? How much do our hearts yearn to approach the presence of God? You know, God has done costly things to grant us access. Are we drawing near to the Lord? Are we approaching Him? Not just today, but every day of the week. Moving from approaching to abiding. In verse 23, we are told to... Hold on. Let us hold on unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Now in the roller coaster of life, when we hit turbulence, when we don't understand our circumstances, often we take a few steps back from God. Sometimes we feel disappointed. Sometimes we have doubts. And sometimes we don't feel like coming to God. Sometimes we are angry with ourselves, with people, or even with God. In these moments, my friends, Hebrews calls us to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. What is this hope about? You know, one of the major themes of the book of Hebrews is expressed in 4.14. And essentially, it is the fact that since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, we have hope. We can hold firmly to the faith we profess. And in verse 19 to 20 of chapter 6, we are told that our hope, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And this hope essentially... Is Jesus the ever living high priest of the new covenant? In verse 25 of chapter 7, we're told that Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Friends, we can have hope. We can have hope because we have an advocate in heaven. We have a great high priest, an eternal high priest in heaven who is interceding for us continually. He always lives to intercede for those who come to Him. What this means is that even though we may be imperfect, even though our prayers may be imperfect, even though sometimes we are not praying as much as we should, we can always have hope. Because when we stop praying, Jesus is still praying for us perfectly. He always lives to intercede, my friends, for you and for me. That's why we can have hope. When we are weak, he's strong. When we are faithless, is faithful. You know, when we look at the structure of the verses from 19 to 23, it tells us that we have access, calls us to draw near, to approach, and then it tells us to abide, to hold unservingly. I believe that there is a spiritual truth because approaching God and abiding in God are linked. Prayer and perseverance are linked. To travel along obedience in the same direction amidst the turbulences of life, we need God and we encounter God and meet with God through prayer. To travel far, to reach our destination in Christ, we need to travel with Christ. We need to pray. The great Swiss reformer John Calvin said this, Joy and patience are far above our strength. Often in our own strength, we cannot find joy and patience. And then he says, we must persevere in prayer, that he may not permit our hearts to faint. Prayer and perseverance are necessary in our daily conflicts. The best remedy to the weariness is diligence in prayer. My friends, if you can't feel God in your life, if you're struggling alone, not sure what to do, if you feel that your faith has grown cold, lukewarm, if you feel distant to God, then the answer to your situation is to look to God, to approach God, to abide in God, in whom you have full access. Some of you may say, I'm just so busy. I have young children to attend to. This is the PS early year. O-level is coming up. I'm taking the exams as well when my children are. I have elderly parents who are unwell. I feel overworked in my job. My boss doesn't sleep. I have no time to pray. I don't feel like praying. I don't even feel in the right frame of mind. Qualified, adequate to even pray. How? How? To pray. You know, Luigi Joya addresses this issue in his book. He says this, What if anger, jealousy, frustration, all those feelings that overwhelm each one of us every day, what if such feelings not only cease to be an obstacle to prayer, but become the straps of wood that feed our prayer, that keep the fire of prayer burning. And then he goes on to say, each time I'm frustrated or discouraged, I tell God how and why. Each time something has hurt me, something pains me, I tell it to God. And just in the same way, when something has given me great joy, I take time to thank the Lord. And he says, starting doing this, start doing this, and you might end up praying a hundred times a day or even more. Never should we think that we have to overcome our anger first, or our frustrations first, before we can pray. And he goes on to say, it can be difficult to believe it, but God is sincerely, deeply interested in each of our thoughts. The good ones, and also the bad ones. The nice ones, and and the not so nice ones. All of them. And then he says, what is it that turns them into prayer. Well, only one thing, the very same thing that transformed into a prayer, the most poignant cry of pain ever to have resounded on earth. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What makes this He goes on to say, not just a cry of pain or even a blasphemy, but a prayer. It is this the ultimate secret of prayer lies wholly in this My God, my God, I say it to God, I present it to God, I'm always with God, and no God is always with me. End quote. Friends, by Granting us full access to God. Jesus has not just given us a Santa Claus that we go to whenever we need something, but Jesus has fundamentally changed the way we are to live. He gives us a new way of living, whether in the mountaintops or in the valleys, a way of living where we can have God as an intimate companion. This, my friends, is at the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Not just Bible knowledge, not just Christian service, those are important, certainly. But to be a disciple, to be a child of God, is to be able to go through the different seasons of life, good or bad, with God as our companion, our teacher, our shepherd. And it is in this abiding with God, suffering with God, rejoicing with God, that enables us to grow in faith and in spiritual perseverance. For we do not live alone. Our victories are the victories of the Lord. Our pain and sorrows are the pain and sorrows of God. We rejoice and grieve, not alone, my friends, but with God. And it is in this posture that we can then Run the race of discipleship for the long haul. A long obedience in the same direction because God is with us. But of course, we also journey with the people of faith, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And at this juncture, I just want to make some personal um, comments and sharing. This is my last sermon at the prayer and praise service. I will be entering a new season from 1st July this year when I will be on study leave in the US for two years. Church I've worshipped and served with you all here for, for about five and a half years. Other than my home church, Barker Methodist Church, Wesley is the only other local church that I have had the honour and privilege of being a part of. I'm thankful to the Lord for your welcome, hospitality, and your guidance. You have shaped me and spurred me to be the pastor I am today. But there's still so much of myself I need to learn and grow in. And I seek your forgiveness if I've disappointed you, stumbled you in any way. But I shall always remember you in my prayers that Wesley as a church and you as the congregants of Wesley may fulfill the divine calling and assignments that he has for you, even as you abide in him and journey in obedience to him. I, cover, I covered your prayers that I will continue to be faithful and grow to be the pastor that God has called me to be as I said, there's so many areas I need to grow in. But church, we are all work in progress. Let's press on in faith. Let's hold on to this hope. Verse 23 tells us, reminds us that he who promised is faithful. He is faithful. And we can hold on to this hope because he is interceding for us. Jesus intercedes for us in the journey of our discipleship. We are not alone. We have God as a companion. And because God is with us, we can stay the course along obedience in the same direction. Bible scholar Professor Cockrell wrote in his commentary on Hebrews that this particular verse tells us that the revelation of God's faithfulness has reached a climax in the high priesthood of His Son. Thus, God's people have the most certain guarantee that if they persevere, they will receive what God has promised. Friends, take heart. Whatever situation you're in, whatever circumstances and challenge, take heart my friends, that we can stand on His promise because He is faithful. And as Adriel Lowe reminded us in the sermon last month, the book of Revelation tells us that in the end, it will be all right. God wins. God is sovereign. In the end, it will be all right church, in essence, there's only one thing that God asks of us. That we be men and women of prayer. People who live close to God. People for whom God is everything. And for whom God's presence is enough. Leonard Ravenhill said "There's no man is greater than his prayer life. And that It's a great privilege that Jesus came to give us full access to God, that we may cultivate our prayer life, our intimacy with God, that He will be a companion in the journey of faith. And with access to God, by the precious blood of the Lamb, let us approach and abide in God in hope and trust. Let me close with this. Reverend Charles Tinley was a black Methodist pastor who was the son of slave parents. By age five, both of his parents had died and he grew up toiling the fields alongside farmhands and enslaved people. While working as a janitor at a church, he attended correspondence courses to earn a theological degree before being ordained a Methodist pastor. Pastor Tinley didn't have an easy life. He didn't even have parents to bring him up. He didn't have access to the benefits and privileges that most of us enjoy. But friends, he had full access to God. A God who would never leave or forsake him. And friends, this is this very same God that each of us worship today. A God who calls us to draw near to him. He desires us to commune in His presence. And even right now, I just want to invite us to to rise. Take a few moments to draw close to God and tell the Lord, I want to be in Your presence. I'm not just here to to sing songs. I'm not just here to hear a message. I'm here to to meet with you, to encounter you. And Lord, in my weakness, I know you are here with me. When I'm faithless, you are faithful. Even when I can't pray, you're praying for me. And so Lord, we surrender our hearts to you. And Lord, even as we say and pray these lyrics written by Charles Tinley, Stand By Me, this hymn that he wrote, help us to utter these words as words of faith, as words of affection for you, as Christ from our heart calling for you to meet us as we are. And Lord, we know that when we draw close to you, you will draw close to us. Church, let's say together the words, the lyrics written by Reverend Charles Tinley, which expresses his heart's desire for the presence of God. Words of faith, words of almost desperation, but words that reflect His desire for God's presence in his life. Together, let us say this as a prayer. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me, stand by me. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me, stand by me. When the world is tossing me like a ship upon the sea, thou who rulest wind and water, stand by me, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me, stand by me. When the hosts of hell assail and my strength begins to fail, thou who never lost a battle, stand by me, stand by me. And so Lord, stand by us. We are your people. Thank you so much for being the God who always stands by us the God who will never leave or forsake us. And we pray all this in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And God's people say, Amen.